0: Unfortunately, in the marketing industry, I think we've, we've grown up believing that we own data. Brand X does something really annoying. I can then say, take all the data
1: you have on me and give it to brand Y. It gives enterprising agencies and creative people the opportunity to create significant advantage. But most importantly,
0: and also quite excitingly as well, if a brand does get it phenomenally wrong, they see could to go to
2: jail. Hello and welcome to BBH Labs, a podcast about marketing from creative agency BBH. My name is Richard Cable and each episode I ask a different burning question about marketing and invite interesting people with strong opinions to answer it. If you like what you hear, you can now subscribe and download through pretty much any podcast app you care to mention and we'll deliver every new episode to you as it's made. This episode we're nerding out on the General Data Protection Regulation, otherwise known as GDPR, which, even though it's apparently the single most significant regulation of digital advertising ever, still manages to sound really, really dull. And then you find out that it's going to kill programmatic, spawn data influencers, provoke a revolution in creativity, and potentially land you a long stretch in prison, and it suddenly seems a little bit more colourful. Joining me to answer the question of what the fuck is GDPR and how can it possibly be good news are Richard Madden, BBH head of strategy for Direct and CRM, and his partner in data liberation, strategist Jacob Lovewell. But first, here's Richard with some preemptive ask covering.
1: Uh, the first thing I'd like to say uh, is just a little bit of uh, hygiene. Um, which is that Jacob and I are huge disappointments to our mothers um, because neither of us is a lawyer. Uh, So anything we are about to say uh, constitutes informed opinion. Uh, BBH is not a legal practice. um, So as a consequence, uh, none of this should be taken as legal advice. So that caveat having been borne in mind. OK, so what is GDPR?
0: Essentially, GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation. That is a new set of legislation that's going to come in very, very quickly, replacing the previous 1995 Data Protection Directive, which in essence is simply out of date. That's it in a nutshell, but the implications, as we're going to talk about, it are hell and all scary, Mary.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with, with Jacob that one of the scenarios is it's the end of the world. But I think there could be an argument for saying that it's probably the best thing that's happened to uh, the direct CRM. And, marketing industry in general for probably the last 20 years. GDPR can very much be seen as a personal data bill of rights uh, and about time. A blessing and a curse springs to mind.
2: From a consumer point of view, what rights does it enshrine? What are we, what are we getting as consumers?
1: So the first right it confers to you and me as consumers uh, is the right to be informed. So the right to be informed basically means um, that the individual... Uh, has to be told um, right up front and given positive opt-in to the use of their uh, personal data uh, for whatever marketing or other reason um, that that may be. But what's new um, is that included within this legislation is now cookies and IP addresses. That effectively means that you'll soon have to ask consumers to positively opt-in to online advertising as well as individual one-to-one communications.
0: The next one is then the right of access. Now, for me, this is one of the most exciting ones because it basically means from the 25th of May onwards, brands no longer own the information they have on their customers. It is the right and property of ourselves as customers and consumers. So what does that mean? That means that you have the right to access all the information that brands hold on you and, as we'll see in the next couple of ones, to do with it what you see fit. Basically, ensure that what you're offering is valuable and basically warrants the data that you have on your customers.
1: The next one is, I think, quite sex- sexily referred to as the right to rectification, which sounds like some kind of practice you would have to pay for in, in Soho uh, <laughs> late at night. Uh, but anyway, my personal life apart, the right to rectification means um, that as an individual uh, citizen, uh, you have the right to request for inaccurate data held by a third party to uh, be corrected. Um, and the wrinkle in that is that it doesn't just apply to the direct holder of the uh, data who you volunteered the data to uh, It also impl- it also uh, applies to any third party um, that individual organization has shared your data with um, And that's great for consumers. Um, it's a huge administrative burden obviously uh, to data owners uh, and I think that's one of the things that people are beginning to get really quite frightened about.
2: And frightened? Why
1: uh, frightened? Simply because of the huge administrative burden. I mean, one couldn't possibly comment. Uh, but um, I, I just think my own bank, uh, which I am not going to name, um, the number of um, white label products that they have sold me over the last twenty years, and consequently the number of insurance companies, in particular, they might have shared my details with um, without actually um, getting me to opt in. Um, positively to that data sharing.
2: So we're up to uh, number four.
0: Yep, so the next one then, as we're kind of building on the, uh, basically ensuring that your data is as clean and up-to-date and accurate as possible, ace then the fact that the customers can now have the right to complete erasure. So say, for instance, I am completely done with XYZ brand. Mm. I have the right to thereby inform them that I no longer want to receive anything from them. If a brand gets that wrong, as we'll touch upon later, yeah. there are huge repercussions, both legally and hell and all financially as well, but there can be big issues there. This now gives customers the sort of enshrined power to completely hit control or delete and get rid of everything and every trace that a brand has on you
2: so that's that feels like something that people might want to do
0: well exactly especially imagine if there's an opportunity as people now have to basically say i don't want to receive any of this yeah they're going to do that that is one of the single most scariest parts of gdpr the sense that if you get it wrong you can no longer afford to just talk at people you have to warrant your space within their inbox, within their doormat, and every single time.
2: That's quite, that's quite an exciting prospect from a, yeah. from a consumer point of view. You think, that's brilliant. I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is get, get people to erase my data.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things as well we'll see, as opposed to just fines being given to brands, as well is that if brands are getting it wrong and people are having their data sort of messed around with and say for instance someone has said i want my data erased and you're still getting stuff from them mm-hmm. we do imagine that there could be a chance of ambulance chases you know how the like to the whole sort of ppi thing was yeah, yeah. you know have you been mr logwell we found out you've been got some ppi nonsense <laughs> blah 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 blah. if someone has sort of you know contacted me and i don't want them to anymore and i've explicitly said stop it uh I could be in for a lot of money potentially and there could be this boom in an industry Mm -hmm. but if there's financial incentive to sort of call out these brands
1: that could be quite an interesting few years we've got ahead of us Mm -hmm. Um,
2: so number five
1: Uh, number five is uh, the right to restrict processing imagine you're a consumer and you have given um, positively opted in to uh, a brand being able to hold your data that's one thing Uh, but if you're obeying the strict letter of the law as a brand, you also have to ask for positive consent uh, Mm -hmm. to that brand processing it, um, in other words, performing analytics on it, uh, or even uh, sharing it with a third party, um, even temporarily, uh, for things like credit checking um, uh, or cross-matching or um, data enhancement. Uh, so um, this could again, uh, if the legal profession and consumers choose to take a kind of strict constructionist view of the law, uh, then this could represent uh, quite a big hassle um, to uh, to organisations. Um,
2: just for the uninitiated, what what what's cons- what's a constructionist point of view? <laughs> uh,
1: so I, I guess it's uh, if you're being strict about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you uh, uh, this again is why we um, put in the caveat right at the start about um, <laughs> about legal opinion uh, so much of GDPR uh, is uh, still unknown in mm-hmm. terms of its enforceability in terms of the uh, strictness to which it must be adhered to mm-hmm. uh, because like much other legislation um, it's so vague as to require case law to be established
0: Uh, so smaller offenses uh, can result in fines of up to 10 million euros or two percent of the firm's global turnover so basically whichever costs more however those big issues say for instance they really do make a phenomenal mess up you could be looking at fines of up to 20 million euros or four percent of the firm's global turnover again whichever is greater but most importantly and also quite excitingly as well if a brand does get it phenomenally wrong there will be, you know, could basically big board could go to jail. There is strong legal ramifications if a brand really does phenomenally mess this up. But think yeah. as well, reputational damage. This is going to be something that is already entering into sort of public discourse. People have become a bit more aware of it. The likes of everything that's happened with Facebook. Mm-hmm. The, the tide is beginning to turn. Perhaps people are becoming a bit more aware yeah. of sort of their data and the value. And also when it goes wrong. So these issues, these be, bear in mind at the moment as well, like the ICO, so the, in, uh, the Information Commissioner's Office, they're mm-hmm. the people that have been enforcing this. If a brand currently gets it wrong, they can only, you know, issue a maximum fine of five hundred thousand. So it's a huge, huge step up if it goes wrong.
2: Those other sort of penalties are going to, as a brand, are going to focus your attention. Probably, it's a big,
0: it's a big thing. You get it wrong, it's a big (laughs) issue. I am of the position though. I, I wonder, kind of grabbing my bag of popcorn and sitting there with my large Diet Coke, thinking that if there will be a brand that's going to be made an example of. So if someone does get it wrong after GDPR comes into effect, I wonder if there will be you know sort of a slap on the wrist type of thing in a way that it's you know other you know to try and whip other brands
1: up into into shape yeah i think that's a possibility i think even people who are taking a fairly liberal and relaxed view possibly both suspect that financial services might be in for a bit yes. of a kicking yeah right
2: number six i believe we're up to there's a little bit of a diversion but i think we're up to number yeah. six now
0: so that's one we've got down as the right to data portability. Mm-hmm. So you know, at the very beginning of this, I said that one of the first things, the most exciting things from a customer's perspective is that you now own your data and a brand doesn't. So a business no longer owns the data they have on you. Mm-hmm. It's essentially, you, know, you own that. So for Tesco, for instance, we take Tesco Clubcard, one of the UK's largest launch programs. I own my data, as of the 25th of May, I will own all the information they have about me. Right. Now this information here, about the, or this right, about data portability means that if I want, I can direct them to share it with a brand or a business of my choice. So think about that. What does that mean? If, say, for instance, brand X does something really annoying to really sort of cheese me off, Mm -hmm. I can then say, take all the data you have on me and give it to brand Y. So for competitors, you really have to up your game because otherwise all that juicy information that you had, arguably a phenomenal, you know, USP, you know, all this information they've collected and collated and are using on me, I can now, if you annoy me or if I want to, I can simply go somewhere else. That's worst case scenario. Kind of the best case scenario, say for instance, is again, I know we've talked about you know the financial sector already, but we are seeing again with the likes of PSD2, which Mm -hmm. essentially is the open banking regulation, which is essentially kind of like sort of GDPR, but specifically for the financial sector to ensure that basically banks don't just have sort of complete control over some bit. They basically have to open up all the information they have on us. Mm -hmm. But that basically means then with GDPR. I can take, say, I could go, for instance, and tell the likes of Clio or another kind of sort of aggregator or money sort you know, these sort of new um, money management services and to use my my information they have on me to basically give a better customer experience. Right. So in a nutshell, excellent for customers because it means they are getting a far better deal and they will always go to the the, the business or the service offering that is great Mm because they have that ability to move their data around. But for brands, uh, adapt or die, I suppose, is the the
2: phrase (laughs) that comes to mind. OK, so number seven.
1: This is possibly the woolliest, and it's, it's simply called the right to object. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're honest, you look at all the other terms uh, within GDPR, and they all constitute a right to object um, at some level. So why have another one in there? Uh, I think the prehistory of this piece of legislation uh, really lies in the very understandable uh, cultural fear um, of the likes of uh, Germany, uh, the likes of France, the likes of Italy and the accession states of the EU. Um, the the fear there that uh, personal data may be, at some point, uh, just as it was in the past, uh, misused by governmental authorities.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of European nations, they don't even have a census for precisely that reason. Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. because of the historical abuse by government of of personal data is a much hotter topic there maybe than it is here. Right, okay, Uh, we're on to the last one, so uh, number eight.
0: Excellent, so the final one then is all about rights related to automated decision making and profiling. Mm -hmm. So you think every time you apply for a product, say for instance, a credit card where there has to be a decision made about you generally that decision is made by a computer an algorithm that will look at all the data that a brand has on you and they will pull all these data sources that are out there on you and the computer's algorithm will work out whether or not you're right for it or you're wrong for it and it will either say yes or no GDPR means to quote Little Britain the computer can no longer say no as it were slightly <laughs> misquote there But essentially, if, say for instance, I apply for a credit card and because of XYZ reason of a data that's pulled from somewhere, it refuses me, Mm -hmm. I now have the right and the company has the obligation to, if I say I'm not happy with that, they then have to manually make a decision instead. Right. So in terms, again, logistics from a business perspective quite hairy-mary in terms of having to get through all those things and actually set up that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But again, for a customer, it means it's much fairer because how many times, how would we even know if there's yeah. an errant piece of data out there that you know is perhaps blocking my chances of getting something that I really want? Yeah. So that again, it's the same story that's running through all of these. The customer mm-hmm. benefits and brands and businesses kind of don't. But I think that's one of the key parts of this yeah. is
1: that it, we've had it very good. Brands and businesses have had it very good. Unfortunately, in the marketing industry, I think we've, we've grown up believing that uh, we own data. Yeah. Data is the property of mm-hmm. a brand. Yeah. Whereas in reality, we're just um, renting it or uh, individuals are loaning it to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is really what it means for marketing and also for consumers. Um, I mean, you only have to look, read the... Much quoted Edelman Trust Barometer report every every year ah, yes. uh, to see that uh, trust in corporations continues to um, kind of inch down, um, and uh, so this is an opportunity, as Jacob says, for mm. enterprising brands to get on the front foot and uh, really begin to rebuild trust one customer at a time.
2: Right,
0: but
1: I think as soon
0: as we get the first thing that goes out there, being like, has a company missold you your data or used yeah, this yeah. wrong? Have you said no, and you're still getting spam and junk mail? I think that's the moment when the game begins to change.
2: So I mean, I, I mean, it's a good job that you know so many that, that historically, you know, um, brands and large corporations have all used our data so responsibly, isn't it? I mean, it must be a. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> <But> so, <laughs> maybe dial out a when does it all happen? What's the what's the called the switch over date?
0: So GDPR will come into force on twenty fifth of May two thousand eighteen. So not long at all.
2: It feels like uh, there is a ton of work that needs to be done to allow people to access their data, edit it, claim it for themselves, transfer it. All of these things, which are you know, and my experience of brands is that they they hold a lot of data on us, but they're not the most nimble. Uh, at accessing it and and using it, funnily enough, mm-hmm. so those systems that need to be put in place to make that happen take a long time to build and presumably quite expensive. So how well prepared is everyone? Do you think?
1: It's funny. I, w- I was uh, invited to have dinner with a group of uh, CMOs uh, to discuss this this very subject and. Um, that they said there was a positive and a negative side to this the negative side was that very often the burden of responsibility for getting the GDPR house in order had fallen on the marketing department mm-hmm. uh, which, um, w- which is unfair because it's as much an operational issue yeah. uh, as it is a, a marketing issue and certainly a legal issue very often marketers are sitting there confused about what it means um, legal advice is very ambiguous anyway that's the, that's the bad news Uh, The good news is that very often their colleagues at C-Suite have believed the myth that the organisation's customer database is is a fantastic, (laughs) well-oiled machine and they have a single view of the customer that's operational and so on and so forth. Up to date. Up to date. (laughs) I think this will probably help CMOs point out to their board colleagues that actually there's considerably more effort required uh, to make all those different data repositories talk to each other yeah, and that can only really be in the long term a good thing for marketers.
2: Mm-hmm. Very specifically from your point of view what does this mean for direct?
1: Uh, I think the naysayer and the, the doom and gloom person should go first. Okay I will start off by saying in an ideal
0: world I would like this to truly be the you know the good news and the sense that you know this is going to force us to do work that is good. Mm-hmm. Like I say, up until now we've had the privilege of being able to just take many data sources and appear and talk to people, arguably too much yeah. about stuff that perhaps they might not necessarily be interested in. Whereas because this this thing comes into place on the 25th, we have to now really up our game. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? In my mind, it's the one thing that I think our industry has been lacking for a long time, and that is placing a real, genuine importance on the role of creativity. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one thing that sets us apart in the advertising agencies, marketing agencies, and it's the only way I think that basically customers will sit up, pay attention and want to, most importantly, receive anything we've got to say. Right. If we do good work, people still
1: want to receive it. Well, Jacob, I think you're disappointingly positive
0: there. Well, I will just say, in, real, in reality, will that happen? <laughs> I, would be, I would be so, so surprised if we we're going to have a creative revolution. Um, but if I was to be completely honest... I can hear my p45 being written as I say this I um, I've very struggled very deeply to actually come up with any examples of good CRM direct stuff that mm-hmm. I myself really do you know sort of you know value and think as a customer as a normal person normal person someone on the street this is actually kind of quite cool. The only campaign I think out there that is genuinely good CRM is the likes of the change for life stuff from the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. I think that is a bang up job of being perfect this in every single way creatively. And also from a strategic perspective as well, it's so bang on. And I haven't seen that kind of sort perfect mash of strategy data and creative idea come through anywhere else. But as Richard said, positively, that could be the exciting challenge.
1: Uh Uh, I've lived through one uh, creative revolution in direct marketing in in my life when fantastic people came along in the age of direct mail, like uh, Graham Robertson and Steve Harrison and so on and so forth and uh, really rehabilitated direct mail and made it uh, a profession that creatives were, uh, were happy, if not necessarily proud, to work in. Uh, I really moved creative standards on, so I'm pretty sure it can be done uh, again in the electronic uh, era um, to create uh, emails and online experiences that individuals actively want to participate in. However... I think it takes imagination on all all sides, not just on the side of the creative industry and agencies. Uh, Also on clients, kind of taking the blinkers off and uh, realising that um, there isn't really a formula to this. There is best practice, but if you follow a rigid formula for what an email needs to say and how it needs to sound, uh, then you're just going to easily get de-permissioned. And I think it's time for a new breed of creative directors and indeed a new breed of strategists to come out of the shadows uh, and say, look, this is the consumer reality. Uh, Just as advertising uh, needs to demand to be watched, needs to give a reward for being consumed, uh, so indeed does um, direct marketing and CRM even more so. Because there's always this perception, especially... It's one of my biggest mm-hmm.
0: bugbears within Direct. Is that It's mm-hmm. kind of perceived as being the Cinderella of advertising. Right. It's the one that nobody would necessarily want to talk about, and it's kind of the sort of one that works the hardest because it proves that it works. We know that. We've got to track what it's prove, you know, prove it works, obviously in combination with other stuff. But to me, my personal goal, and what I thing I'd love for GDPR to do, it would be to get the words junk mail and spam out of the dictionary within about 10 years. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, this will stop, stop brands and stop us from being forced to make communications that are just talking at people and mm-hmm. it will stop this mindset which gets on my nerves of oh we've got something to launch send an email and it will stop us and it will actually make us hopefully sit there and think okay we have something to communicate hence we're actually going to tell people about it what's the best way to do it and how do we do it in a way that they will care and only yeah. talk to the people that need to know about it so getting the words junk mail and spam out of the dictionary would be my dream for GDPR I can't believe my life has come to having dreams about GDPR but essentially we have to earn our space in inboxes and doormats which we've never arguably had to do before
1: but at a a deeper level uh brands which think imaginatively and use technology to co-create with customers uh new forms of value uh with data Mm -hmm. um, they will begin to have a significant advantage as well And, and just to bring this to life i mean there's loads of verbiage about that uh but vitality health i mean they're not yeah, exactly a yeah. cutting edge, you know, innovator, mm. uh, but certainly the value exchange they've created, uh, in terms of if you, if you share actually quite intimate health data with them, uh, they will give you uh, a return on that um, that data value that you've uh, you've given them. That that's a very very interesting uh, starting point, and you wonder if people like Sainsbury's or Tesco or Waitrose, for example, will begin to give a return in health advice or money-saving advice uh, back to people in exchange for the behavioural data they collect through their loyalty programs. I mean
2: there's a, there's a lot, from a, from a brand perspective, there's a lot to be concerned about with GDPR but you see it as a positive opportunity if they're prepared to up the creative standard and uh, improve that value exchange or create one with, yeah. with the consumer. So from that from that point of view, I mean, I mean, how quickly or, or do you even at all see brands moving into a space where they are rewarding consumers for moving their data, giving them preferred data status, all this sort of stuff? Do you see that kind of developing into its own market?
0: We kind of call it the sort of data value proposition. It's essentially, what am I getting for giving you mm. everything you have Justify to me? And be fair with it, because I you don't just hold the power anymore about it. You know, I hold my data. If, I, if it's not fair enough, I don't like it, or you messed up, goodbye. Yeah. Um, do we think there will be a business that springs up around that? Um, well, arguably it's already started, hasn't it? Richard knows the, the details far more than I do on this, but you know, people are beginning to sort of realise the their monetised self, as it were, mm-hmm. all sort of the quantified self stuff. But now, potentially,
1: there is the example for people to make money off themselves. Yeah, yes, it could be the start of me and my monetised data self. Uh, I think there are two views about this. There are uh, very, very enterprising startups like Citizen Me. Uh, who are going out there and um, trying to create beta products which experiment with the idea of uh, giving people cash back in exchange for data which they give them and then they rent on to uh, organisations which want that data.
2: So we're not looking at data influencers in in any immediate future?
1: Uh, I'd like to imagine so, um, because uh, it's something that Jacob and I, uh, using the knowledge we've gleaned, can actually... Uh, start a little start-up in our, in our space. <laughs> um, but uh, ha- having spoken to uh, people who know more about it than us, um, there's a certain amount of scepticism.
2: If you were to give me your, like, your one-paragraph summary and sort of reasons to be cheerful, what would that be?
1: It's great news for the citizen, first of all. I, as um, someone who has life outside of marketing, if only a very slender one, um, I, I, I welcome it, I think it's a very good thing. I also think um, with uh, looking on the sunny side of life, which I think we have to in this industry, um, it has uh, it represents huge opportunities for enterprising positive thinking brands. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, uh, in the advantage to be gained potentially from uh, creating openness and thus building trust. Mm-hmm particularly in trust-challenged categories such Mm -hmm. as uh, financial services. Uh, I think also, as Jacobs um, alluded to, it gives enterprising agencies and creative people the opportunity to create significant advantage by uh, creating communications which consumers will positively want to opt into receiving. And lastly, it uh, gives agile and enterprising brands Um, the opportunity to create advantage uh, by finding new value exchanges uh, to share with customers in exchange for their data. As customers realize that their data begins to have some kind of value, uh, then brands will have to offer more value in return in exchange for it. Uh, And those brands that get ahead of the game will enjoy disproportionate success.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Jacob? Yep. Pretty Much agree with that, but I think it is also two key points again. I think creativity is going to be the real savior of this, mm-hmm. and I sincerely hope it is, in ensuring that we, as again, I sort of say that we are producing work that people want to receive. and I think that that's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, I think it's going to open this can of worms here. Uh, I think it's going to
1: categorically kill off one part of advertising, which is programmatic.
2: And so, what's GDPR going to do to programmatic?
1: It's going to require individuals to uh, opt in to receiving um, programmatic advertising, uh, which is based on the merger of a publisher's data set uh, with uh, a brand's data set. Um, That's going to be impossible. There is going to be a huge advantage, however, for uh, existing large-scale platforms uh, who already have... um, permitted and consented mm. um, databases such as Facebook and Snapchat, Snapchat Twitter, Twitter yeah. uh, and so on and so forth.
0: Um, but in terms of, the, I think the real benefit and I think the one that is the most important is that it levels the playing field and it ensures that we don't have it as good, it the power imbalance is much fairer and that essentially it's just sort of, you know, uh, it's legislation that is all about common sense, it's about treating people as you want to be treated and ensuring that we treat our customers and are treated ourselves as we would wish to be.
2: So that's it for GDPR. Thanks to Richard and Jacob. And don't forget to subscribe, share, tweet, download, post on LinkedIn, borrow, quote, and or comment as you see fit. Next episode, we're hoping to have a special report on social justice campaigns and how creative agencies can positively contribute. In the meantime, if you want more from BBH Labs or Richard, Jacob or myself, you can find us at bbh-labs.com or on Twitter at BBH Labs.